This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. I'm Jillian Getting, Craig's sister. Woo! Surprise! Surprise! No Andrew this week. <laughs> nope. My turn. It's Jillian's turn. Oh, I'm going to have to... Yes. Jillian is here. <laughs> what is that? Well, because... Jillian is here. I don't often use your full name, but I'm going to be diligent about it No, you can air. call me... Do you want to talk about this? Let's talk about this. Well... We're going to talk about, yes, we're going to talk about the book, (laughs) The Player of Games by Ian M. Banks. You read it for the show this week. Yes. We're recording this while Andrew is on his paternity leave so that we have extra episodes. Mm -hmm. God forbid his baby just need his attention for a week. Uh, He will. It's true. (laughs) The baby will. Yes. Um, So, yeah. So what do you want to talk about? Names, huh? Yes. Um, I am Jillian Getting. Yeah. Except to Craig Getting, to whom, is this the right grammar? To whom I am Jill Getting. Yeah, that's true. You are the sole person in the universe, and I say that as we read a sci-fi book, who can call me Jill and not piss me off. Um, Oh, gosh. So it can't, (laughs) because now my name's Jillian, call me Jillian. Um... So mom named after me after a soap opera character. Sure. Named Jillian. Uh-huh. Yeah. And in her mind, that was my name. It was not Jill. It was Jillian. Um, but when I went to school, uh, around middle school or so, people started saying my name incorrectly. It's technically three syllables. Yes. Jillian. Jillian. And it's spelt kind of like the author of the book we're going to talk about close to. Jill, I-A-N. Jill and Ian. So yeah. three syllables. Um, but I had friends and even teachers saying Jill Yun, mm. and that infuriated me. Sure. I have no idea why my little 10-year-old self hated that with so much fury, um, but I did. And so I told people to start calling me Jill because that didn't make me angry because <laughs> it's hard to mess up Jill. Yeah, fair. <laughs> and mom started babysitting some of my friends after school. Yes, I remember this. Um, while their parents were working. And since I was a very wonderful older sister to Craig, truth, I would allow him to linger in the vicinity of <laughs> us. Creepily hanging around. <laughs> you can stand in the doorway or sit there <laughs> in the corner. I don't even actually have memories per se. No. But you were around. And so you picked up that my name is Jill because yep. of our five-year difference. If I was, what, 10 years old, you were five, I'm Jill. What did I know? Exactly. And it never bothered me when you did it. And then when I went to college, I was like, okay, adults can say my name. Adult women can say Jillian. They'll get it. Yeah. And so I forced that issue. And so now I've had like in work situations and other situations, people try and call me Jill. And I shut that down hardcore because that's not my name. Truth. And there's only one person who gets to call me that. 
Mr. Craig Getting of the Overdue Podcast. Well, thanks for letting me do that. And thanks in advance to all of our listeners for not calling you Jill. Because now a bunch of people know this is how it goes. Because now they're like, Andrew will call me Bill as a joke sometimes. Why? Because my middle name's William. And he knows that it's not a thing I've ever been called. So he just gets to call me that. And then there are like people who will tweet at me calling me Bill. So like, that's fine. I can take it in stride. But don't come for my sister, I'll mess you up. Okay, don't so we're talking about, as I said, The Player of Games by Ian M. Banks. This is a Patreon recommendation by uh, Spencer and Skeff. It's a, it's a sci-fi comedy duo, Spencer and Skeff. Um, now, I had not heard of Mr. Banks before this recommendation came in. He's a Scottish author. Had you ever heard of him? I had not, okay. actually. Even though I read a lot of Scottish authors just... Because we have Scottish heritage, and I've been there a bunch of times, and also because I love sci-fi. I had just, he'd never crossed my desk before. Sure. Um, he was born in 1954. He died in 2013, unfortunately, yes. taken a little young as of uh, from cancer. I have an mm-hmm. interesting quote about that. Um, from He gave an interview to The Guardian uh, only like a month or so before he passed away. Uh, and they talked about his career, and they talked about his politics, and all sorts of stuff. Um, and as the interviewer was leaving, Banks said, do you know that I know what caused the cancer? Cosmic ray, he says. I won't brook any contradiction. It was a high energy particle. A star exploded hundreds or thousands of years ago. And ever since there's been a cosmic ray, a bad magic bullet with my name on it, heading towards the moment where it hit one of my cells and mutated it. That's a sci-fi author's way to bow out. None of this banal transcription error stuff. I don't. I don't think he believed think that. I think he was kind of being romantic and cheeky about it. Okay. Do we though? I don't know. I mean, he might have believed it. It's possible. Shirley MacLaine believes in aliens. I mean, well, who I, knows? Hey, aliens might be real. They just might not be Area Fifty One aliens. Oh no, there's Area Fifty One aliens. Well, that's also okay. Well, we'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> Separate podcast. Yes. Um, his, uh, so he married twice in his life. Um, mm-hmm. he used Ian M. Banks when he wrote sci-fi, more naming yes. stuff today. Um, cause when he was born, his parents called him, they meant to name him Ian <laughs> Menzies Banks, like Tobias Menzies. Yes. And they left that well off played. the birth certificate yeah, or something. I, I read the dad forgot. Good. He was filling it out <laughs> and he forgot to put the middle name in. Speaking of Oopsie. dads. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Um, But so then he has written a bunch of books that are not sci-fi books and he published them under Ian Banks and then decided to put the M in for his sci-fi work. Why not? Yeah. And I was reading that um, even though even from a child, he was always more interested and always wrote sci-fi and always considered himself a sci-fi writer. He wasn't initially in his career getting a lot of traction with sci-fi books that he was putting out. So he started going, the terminology that was being used was mainstream. And since I haven't read any of them, I'm not sure exactly what that means. Is it more literary? They didn't say thriller. Is it a domestic drama? Not sure. I wonder if that's a Britishism that like he used in interviews that then just like seeped into his wikipedia and other biographies yeah. you know yeah i saw that too so i, I don't know mainly when... non-genre books yes. is basically what that means and then as he gained traction there he was able to move forward with the sci-fi books 
the book that we're talking about, The Player of Games, is part of um, the Culture series. There's nine of them. This is the second in the series. And from what I can tell and have seen online, you can read them independent of each other. Yes. Each one kind of has its own adventure of sorts and set of characters. So you don't necessarily, you're not learning more about the world building or anything like that through reading them in order. It seems like I could be wrong for people that have read this before, but that was the impression I got when I was re- uh, researching the series. Yeah, I found an interview with him on orbitbooks.net. I just I'm amazed at how many websites there are sometimes. <laughs> I found a lot of blogs from like the early 90s writing sure, about yes. this book. Yeah. Um, uh-huh, they're everywhere. <laughs> this was an interview with him on the 21st an- 25th anniversary of the Culture series. Um, and he talks a lot about, uh, you can just search that on like Orbit Books or whatever, you'll find it. And he talks about it like never really, it didn't have like an arc, like an, it, there wasn't a complete story he wanted to tell. It was just a right. universe to play around in. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's kind of happy with that because he never had to come up with a, a way for it to end. Um, and he talks, it is, we'll talk about this, I guess, in the context of the book, but the whole, like the premise is that the culture is this civilization, say, 9,000 that started 9,000 years ago in the space future. And they are, they're an anarchist, social, what are the, what, it's a post scarcity anarchist utopia. Yep. Found that phrase too. Yep. Um, and it is some sort of like galactic hyperpower that is run mostly by AI. And, uh, it is run by AI. Sure. Okay. Um, and and it's run by an AI called Mind. Oh, it's only one. Okay, one capital mind. M Mind. Cool. The, I know nothing about that. <laughs> I couldn't find any. There's one reference in the book about it. And I went, "What is that?" Couldn't find anything online except that like it's in charge. Sure. Okay. Um, and a lot of these books apparently, and maybe we'll talk about this too. It's like they come in. The culture comes into contact with other civilizations that are on the fringes or are not part of this, you know, empire for lack of a better word. Yeah. And it's about like how people from the culture kind of clash with other cultures, which is an interesting way to exp- to like set utopia up in relief to other things rather than mm-hmm. always having to draw it. Um, and in that Aura Books interview, he also talks about like, he was responding to a lot of dystopia that had, that was being written, you know, think like Blade Runner and, and stuff like that in sci-fi. And he came up with this idea of having utopia driven by AI because it was like a necessary way to envision a different way to get there. And also like a lot of people could tear down his premise if he was saying it was just humans who did it because mm-hmm. we don't really have a good track record. And you yes. kind of need a thing. I think he he referred to it as like the children creating the adults and then behaving better as a result. Interesting. There is a reference in this book to a war that happened mm. at some point. Okay. Prior to mind slash culture taking over. Huh. So possibly thousands of years before or something like that. Sure, sure, um, sure. It's just a it's just a one off in reference to like this is a ship we're going to use. It used to be a warship. It's now just been emptied of that because we don't need warships anymore. Okay. Um, but so it was alluding to that there had been this previous conflict, um, and yeah, and again, interesting in the book 
I did not understand really what culture was, what the mind was. I had to kind of research it all afterwards. Okay. Um, which was a little frustrating. Sure. Because I don't need a whole lot of exposition, but a little bit of explanation would be helpful. <laughs> Just, you know, a tad. Um, and yeah, and what you were saying about with a... Each book kind of being different. What I was, what I had read online, was that um, each book, through whatever the main character is, is um, about interacting with all of these different um, civilizations that they're finding on the outliers of the known universe that culture is aware of, and basically the interactions can be good, can be bad. Should we take them over? Should we not? So as much as it's utopian. Um, an anarchist utopia, um, utopia meaning you have everything you need, you don't have to work, anarchy, kind of hedonistic, do whatever you want. That's for the people. Yeah, yeah. Culture is very much strategizing. Sure. Is the impression that I got, even in the book. Sure. They're very much strategizing things that humans or these future forms of humans are not at all thinking about or caring about makes sense which is interesting yeah, yeah. and the orbit books interview also referenced a thing in other books and i don't know if it comes up in this book called the special circumstances division uh-huh. okay we'll talk about that because that seems like it's the like the g-men of culture go out and like deal with stuff um yeah. and yeah so then the only let's briefly hit on a few more banks things and then we'll roll into the book um in a lot of my research it mentioned his kind of overt politics so i just kind of want to shout them out because he didn't really hide them at all and it seemed pretty much a part of his persona he was an ardent supporter of scottish independence um maybe that'll happen one day who knows um he (laughs) campaigned for the impeachment of tony blair over iraq um and Mm -hmm. was very critical of uh, did you hear he cut up his passport and mailed it to him yeah yeah part of the passport protests (laughs) Um, And he has also contributed to writings on the boycott, divest, and what does the S stand for? Um, The BDS movement with regard to Israel's treatment of Palestine. Mm -hmm. Um, What is that? That is boycott, divestment, and sanctions. Um, So he was pretty ardent about that and had actually contributed to it professionally. Um, After he died, they named an asteroid after him, which just seems like a thing that if you're a good enough sci-fi writer, just gets to happen. I mean, but I could buy a star. Yeah. And name a star after you. Would you? You wanted that? Your birthday's coming up. Well, let's see. Maybe I'll think of something else I want instead. Call it Bill Getting. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then you dug up something about freaking Elon Musk. (laughs) Yes, I did. He's always around the corner if you're not careful. So I found a Guardian article written by Stuart Kelly, um, June 19th of last year, 2018, saying that um, he, Elon Musk says he is a utopian anarchist. Sure. And he's referencing these culture books as like, this is where kind of like when people are like, hey, I'm into Ayn Rand. All right, do with that what you will. <laughs> he's saying, hey, I'm a utopian anarchist because of Ian Banks's books. Um, but what's interesting is that he doesn't actually i don't think he fully understands like what that means again utopia you have everything you need there's no scarcity there's no want for anything anarchy there's no structures or hierarchies or anything like that um you can do whatever you want and 
I don't believe that's what he's moving toward or no. like, that's his goal in life. Well, which is interesting. There's a lot of it seems like there's a lot of self-delusion there that you go read a cyberpunk novel or two and you know yeah. what is actually going to happen, my friend Elon. Yeah. But see, what's interesting is because then the article delved a little bit more into what the concept of the culture was through the series. And then it makes me think Elon Musk might like it. So. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So the culture would want everything to stay the same in the universe and wants everything to be like them. And so when they find these different outlier planets or civilizations that aren't like them, they have to figure out, can we integrate them in or do we destroy them? Those are literally the two options. That sounds like Elon. And, yeah. Yeah. And and so Stuart Kelly talked about it being totalitarian, um, interventionist, and a monolith. That's culture. And so if he's on board with that, I think I get it. Yeah. But that's not utopian anarchy. No. <laughs> so I think he's culture. I don't think he's utopian sure, anarchy. Sure. That's fair. <laughs> He did name like two of his space drones after stuff from this no- from this novel, I think, actually. Oh, so. yeah. He, loved, he loves these books. All He's right. all about it. And I think, and that just shows the show. It's like, do you know the terminology that is actually being used here to understand the implications? And I just don't think he does. I think if he's picking up on the culture stuff and is on board with that, Okay, I agree that Elon Musk is probably on board with that stuff, but that's not the right phrase for it. Sure, 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 sure. That's the phrase culture wants people to think they have. Mm, Tricky. But I don't, but that's not necessarily true if they're trying to take over other planets and civilizations. Okay. So. Hey, Craig. Hi, Craig. Looks like we're trapped in the ad break together again, Craig. Looks like it, Craig. What should we talk about this time? How about the fine folks at Squarespace, Craig? Sounds good. What the heck do they do? Well, Craig, it's a great website that helps you make websites, Craig. They'll help you blog, publish content, sell products or services, or even promote your business. But, Craig... I don't even know how to code. Stop your whining, Craig. Squarespace has beautiful templates created by world-class designers so you can get right to focusing on the look and feel of your website. There's nothing to patch or upgrade, and they've got 24-7 customer support just in case you get into trouble. Hey, Craig, the overdue website's on Squarespace, isn't it? Yes, Craig. Andrew did a great job using Squarespace to make our website. Andrew? Who's that? I don't know, Craig, but I do know that it's time to make your website with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code OVERDUE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Make it with Squarespace. Um, tell me about what this book and who it's about. Okay. Oh, the first thing just to keep in mind while we're going through this, because I think it'll just be an interesting through line. It was published in 1988, presumably written in the year or two leading up to that. That's before the Berlin Wall. That's still Cold War. Sure. That's a lot of scary things happening. So the, the kind of impetus, the first two books of the culture series being written prior to the Berlin Wall coming down, um, and the kind of dystopian fiction that was happening at the time, like Blade Runner and everything was very negative and everything 
Like it's never going to get better. Um, this was just like another kind of interesting view about how can I think a totalitarian system actually make you think you're not in a totalitarian system. Sure. Okay. So that's kind of just maybe a potential interesting theme that might go through. It's nothing that we have to touch on too much, but I found the timing of it very interesting because of the topic. Yeah. Books don't just like drop out of nowhere. They're, right. you know. <laughs> Authors kind of think about it a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. We'll give them a little bit of credit. <laughs> so the book is in four sections. Sure. The first section, it's a 400-page book. The first section is 100 pages. The second section is 200. And, I, and I'm saying this for a reason. The third is like 90. And then the fourth is like the wrap-up of only 10 pages. Okay. Um, I say that because if I was not reading this for you, and no disrespect to anyone who adores this book, I would have put it down after 50 pages. Okay. Having read it through all the way... I think the reason I was very frustrated with it was actually on purpose. And so I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> love, a book I, that, I think it, love a book that hates you. <laughs> no, I, I think the writing style was purposeful to be in line with the protagonist's mindset. Okay, yeah. But it, that made it very slow. Sure, sure. So, the, so first there is a narrator. There is an overarching narrator. Section one, which is called Culture Plate. Delicious. Rolls it. Yeah. What I would call ennui and basic world building. <laughs> That's what I would call section one. Yeah, sure. There are literally four sentences that set up that there's a narrator tale- telling this tale. Okay. And then we go into it. The protagonist's name. Okay, so this is my thing about sci-fi names. They don't all have to be weird. People in the future can be called Bob. It's okay. Yeah, but... but I've, okay. I've... I feel like people just do like scrabble jumbles and like come up with names or like they think of Welsh names and change but them But he's a bit. Scottish, so maybe that's what he's channeling. These are not Scottish names. But like he's near Wales. Are, that's what I'm saying. These are like Welsh things and they yeah. all have like triple L's and W's and F's and it says Tom. Like I, it's very complicated. <laughs> okay. So, so for the people who have recommended the book and who have read it, I apologize for the next however amount of time of butchering I'm about to do to to beloved characters. Please know it's more about me and not the characters or the author. Sure. Okay. I believe his name is Jernal Morat Gerga. Sure. G-U-R-G-E-H. And that's how I'm going to have to um, call him that because that's how they use his last name throughout the whole thing. Gerg. (laughs) No, I don't think I hope it's not that. I don't have to go Gurga. Well, would you just say, time. okay, say it how you want to say it. We'll go. I'm going to say Gurga. Great. But the the reason I honestly thought it was Gurgi mm. just because, but then later it comes up that he's annoyed that it's being mispronounced as Gurge or Gurgi. Well, so I went, so those are wrong. Man, we, I didn't know that like <laughs> names was going to be such an important part of this book. It's and it's, in sci-fi it can be, but man, I get frustrated by this that's stuff sometimes. That's fine. Well, that's his name because it's distracting. So Gerga, great. great. So we start with like a cold open. Yep. He's out in the desert and he's like fighting with drones. He's playing this game. He's like he's like go, he's got guns and stuff like that. There's things in the air. He has a friend with him, a woman named Ye Maristino. 
sure kind of french we'll go with yay y-a-y yeah um and other people you shoot at the drones you gotta run away it's very exciting things fall out of the sky he hates it he absolutely hates it um he's a famous game master whoa same yeah (laughs) are you that's me okay i'm the game master great Game master. I would just like to foreshadow and point out, notice he's a game master, but it is called the player of games. Key point. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, thinking big here. Um, He doesn't like these sort of active, let me run around outside things. Um, He doesn't see that as a game. He prefers, uh, prefers traditional board games. Whoa. Interestingly, there are only board and board-like games in this book, potentially because it's written in 1988. I mean, computers were a thing. Pong was around. Yeah, he could have been playing it. I bet um, Ian... Oh, uh, now I'm into uh, this book as <laughs> Ian Banks is told, you got to check out Atari. And he's like, I hate it. I only want to play Monopoly. Oh, I love it. This is good. There are no... As much as there are lots of technology, there are no technological games, which is fascinating to me. Well, but even the big game of the book on a totally different planet is still a board game. Well, which but, is just but are there like robots and stuff or like? Pr- no. Hmm. Okay. It's like like Star Trek 3D chess or weird things like that. Not, I'm not saying Star Trek's weird, but like complicated, not just like your standard chess board. Like take any sort of um, manual game that has game it's pieces. Okay, analog. so Monopoly yes. would have like five tiers and like three sub boards and stuff like that. Yeah, very analog, not digital, which I had to keep reminding myself this was 1988 there were still some computer things, but even projecting in the future, you'd think there'd be more digital stuff, but there, so there wasn't. So, for reference, this is five years after War Games, which is a pretty big... The Matthew Broderick yes, film? Yes. And it is... Love that film. It is six years after Tron. So, like, he is deliberate. He's being deliberate in his use of board games. He knew about video games, let's be honest, here. Yeah. Mr. Banks. And I don't know if it was maybe he didn't feel like he knew enough in order to write about it. Who knows? But so just moving forward, just know that it's more board games. It's not even card games. It's always some sort of a board, sure. whether it's 3D or flat. Okay. There's that. Um, he, he, we hear him badgering Ye yet again to be his protege. He thinks she's a very good gamer for our phrase, not in the book. Um, <laughs> and she's basically like, eh, I don't know. I'm going to go hang out with my friend Chamless. By the way, he's a drone. Cool. Now, drones in this book, I'm going to use this word a lot, but they're not the drones that we think of flying in nope, the air nope, delivering nope. packages. They're robots. <laughs> they're like they're like um are they're like Star Wars droids, like they are sentient, they have personalities. Like the little round one that runs around. Or C3PO, like he can walk and he yes. can talk. No. No, it's like an iPhone that floats in front of you and has a personality and talks. Okay, but nonetheless it is a it is a sentient computer yes. machine yes okay great okay of a variety of sizes but none of them appear to be humanoid in shape or size a deliberate choice they can be sure. small as just you know like a, a small circle like like no more than a baseball um or they can maybe be about like three feet tall just kind of rambling along old school kind of a thing great okay but so that's what they call drones in this and so this is the section that kind of was like 
boring me. Um, <laughs> well, because he is bored, I think, maybe. It's his ennui. Yeah. And I think Banks, as a writer, was making a point of that, um, t- letting us see how bored Gerga is. So people live for hundreds of years. He's 200 years old. Cool. At one point, someone who's 35 is insultingly called a baby. Um, Wait, so I'm baby. Okay. <laughs> you're baby, Craig. So stop it. You just stop it right now, you baby. Come on now. <laughs> um, he's bored. He's restless. That's why he tried the game with Ye, thinking, would this be something more exciting? It wasn't doing okay. like the live action stuff. Um, not a fan of LARPing, it sounds like. No. Okay. And probably not cosplay. Yeah, mm. in general. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. Um, and then when it comes to the games that he does like, and he also like writes papers about them and theories and stuff, you never know. You don't get into the details, thank goodness for me, as someone who doesn't know a lot about that. Um, he's what's considered a general board player as opposed to a specialist. So some people are like really great at just one game and there are like thousands of games in this universe. He plays them all and he kicks everybody's butt. Okay. He's the game master, capital G, capital M game master. Okay. Camel case. All right, let's go. Yeah. Where is he playing this? Is this in culture? Is this on like some like... So culture's not a place. Well, you know what I mean? Like, is it in a culture controlled environment or is yes. he okay 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 yeah. yes he lives in culture if we think of that as a civilization sure um and this is what i was going to get to next so like this is also quote why i call it the, the world building section this is what we learn about the world and i'll just skip anything that we've already kind of talked about in our initial description which was mine going i don't know what culture is that was my note so <laughs> okay fun so we've gotten um, some of that then we've gotten some of that <laughs> Um, culture has what's called a contact section and they're the ones that go out and try and do the initial contacts with other peoples or aliens and things like that. And then there's the special, the special circumstances without being described this way. They're basically the military. Sure. Military CIA mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Espionage. They will enforce things if need be. Um, so other things that we learn, yes, they're living very long time. He lives on what's called an orbital. So people live on ships, like permanently. They may live their entire life on a ship, um, like huge, huge ships. Um, people live on planets. And then people live on orbitals, which I inferred from the book is something that is built. Because Ye, his friend from the game, she's an architect. And she really likes volcanology and volcanoes. Um, wants to build i think an orbital with a volcano on it so it to me i just can't help but visual maybe like a flat plane that they live on one side of or maybe people live on both sides not sure oh man okay so i'm looking at it it is basically so do you know have you ever heard of the video game halo yes okay so an orbital is essentially halo which makes me think that halo ripped it off from ian banks (laughs) um it is a According to Wikipedia, it is a purpose-built space habitat forming a ring typically around 3 million kilometers in diameter. So the the fact that it's a ring that um and it was introduced in the first novel. So if you read if you had read Consider Phlebas, the first the first <laughs> Spell Phlebas. <laughs> just think about Phlebas. Spell um, Phlebas. F uh, P H L E B A S. Of course it's P H. Okay. Yeah. Consider yeah. Phlebas. Um, if it's just a big ring in space that rotates and the rotation creates gravity. 
And so then you live on the inside of it and you could basically create environments and like atmosphere and stuff on the ring. Okay. Yes. Great. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So she's into orbitals and he lives on one. Yeah. Like he's, she's training to build them and they both all currently live on them. Um, in the people that live in the culture civilization can change their gender. So there's one guy who just loves the party. He loves throwing parties. Um, he has a gaggle of children. They typically want you to only have like one or two just for population control. But he super enjoys going through a process. They do not describe it in any great detail of moving into a female bi- biological form. Sure. In order to have children. And then moving back into a male biological form and raising his little kitties together. Interesting. Um, so, so that's something that they can do. They also have glands in them that have a variety of components, like 300. <laughs> okay. Like they can help you focus. They can help you feel pleasure. They can get you high. They can help you sleep. And it's like, I don't know how you're supposed to turn one on or not, but you can. Yeah, sure. So, so like that that is an interesting like biological post solution of post scarcity right so if the idea is that you have all the resources you need one of the things that might happen is like you would have access to whatever chemicals your or hormones your body might need to like feel fine and good yes yeah okay yeah interesting and some people work some people don't work like the dude that has all the kids he just seems to throw a party every night and he likes fireworks so like that's his jam so he's so he's Um, space gatsby he's just a parent a a parenthood driven yes he's not because he's not going after daisy he just turns into daisy (laughs) and i mean that in the loveliest way possible he is his own daisy and then he has her baby and then he can go back to himself and it just works okay it works i love space gatsby already great and I and I and I and when Gatsby um, throws his huge parties, his children are helping like serve the food, yes. like little slave labor. It's a delight. It's, it's very well, fun. And then they sing a song, like Sound of Music. It's all very good. Okay. Well, one guy fell over the edge. The kids went down and yes. got him and brought him up because he was so drunk. It was a delight. Perfect. It was very fun. You should have been there. Okay. Okay. Um, and then the other thing about the drones to uh to keep in mind to point out yeah yeah, is that they can develop personalities so yes they're sentient but they also have they can develop them themselves based on experiences oh okay so they're not Um, like yeah so it's like a it's a learning ai that develops sentience based on whatever okay who knows Yeah, different experiences who they've interacted with things like the movie her sure okay so what how do we get into section two like what either like capitalizes on his ennui or launches him out of his ennui what's the deal yes so the contact section is trying to get a hold of him and gurga sounds so weird saying that over and over it's like gurgle yeah gurga is just like screw you i don't care about contact go away go away he goes to lots of parties he goes whatever um he's on his way to going to a party because this new really young girl has come into their orbital um, who is supposedly a wonderful game player, and they want the two of them to play. This is this is pivotal. This is not side information. Okay. So he's taking a quasi-train-like thing um, to get from his personal island on his orbital back to where everyone else is. And um, someone who recognizes him says, hey, do you want to play a game on the train while we're like waiting? And it's an amateur, right? No one up to his rank, but he'll if he's feeling up to it, he'll do it because it makes people feel good even if they lose to say, hey, I played against you. An interesting thing happens. He loses. 
and it's his own freaking thought, fault. So there's this like, and there's this one specific part where, um, or a piece I should say that you keep it flipped over the entire time, but at any point you want to, you can see what it is and then use it to your advantage. And just as a personal challenge to himself, he decided to go the whole game without using it. And then he realizes he's in a jam. He turns it over and it's not going to help him at all. And he actually loses to just this Joe Schmo on a train. So that's kind of messing with his head. Now he's at Gatsby's party and the young girl shows up and um, people are like, hey, you guys should play a game together. I can't. The games are barely explained, which in some ways is good because I can barely see them in my head. But it's like a weird cube kind of a thing. Um, I envision it. I know it's not made of wooden strings, but like, you know, there's lines going across in all 3D directions, creating this cube. And then they put their pieces in different places around the cube. And then somehow they play and someone wins. That's that's sure. all I know. He, he this, doesn't explain. Is it. this all the game Azad? Because that's the one that... No, we're not there we're yet. We're not even at Azad yet. Okay. This is to get us... This is all the setup to get him to Azad. Great. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, and this game is just like, I can't even see it in my head. I don't know what's happening. That's fine. So there is this name. You might have to cut this out. Hold on one second. Okay, here's his name. All right. So there's this small drone that's kind of like a friend to Gurga called Malrin Skell. Sure. Dash dash between Malra and Skell, Great. just in case you're curious. So during a break in the game, because they're playing for like 12 hours or something like that, there's this thing that you can do with this game, which is like a full defeat, which is you can either win it or you can do something so perfectly with the game that it's a full defeat. And he wants it. He thinks he's close. He thinks he can do it and all this kind of stuff. And Malra and Skell is like, I can tell you the couple of moves that you're going to need to do that but if i tell you that i want a favor from you in return okay and he's thinking about it and my personal feeling is because he feels so bad about what happened on the train he takes it yeah 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 yeah. so he goes back he does that he wins turns out what marin scale wants is he had been banned from special circumstances quote unquote military sure for his for his personality and attitude he's not a very nice guy okay this drone who's about the size of an iphone and floats in the air and blinks colors um and what he wants is for um gurga to get him back in okay put in a favor for him make it happen or he's gonna blackmail him he he had a recording like he has all the things he needs for blackmail so then when Contact reaches out to him again and says, hey, we found this planet that we want you to go and play their game that we've never seen before, um, he ends up having to say yes to that in order to say, well, I will do it if you let, you know, you consider taking this drone back and putting him back in service so that the blackmail goes away. Because that could ruin his entire career, his reputation, yeah, yeah, everything, yeah, yeah. right? He's the grant, he's the game master. He doesn't cheat. So that's the big deal with that. So the information he's given initially about Azad from Contact is that they found a game in this location. Um, it'll take two years by their faster than light, I don't know, standards. Um, the interesting thing about the game, though, is that it can lead to whoever is in charge. 
if you win the game, you're the new emperor. Okay. That's pretty hard. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Um, the game is Azad. The name of the empire is Azad. Makes sense then that if you would win it, you would be in charge. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. The home planet is Ia. I don't know what an umlaut over an A does. Oh, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Go for it. Ia. (laughs) We'll just go with that. I don't know. (laughs) Um, The game board is very complicated. It's like 50 meters by 50 meters. It's huge. That's the main one. And then there's three different like smaller games that also have to be played as well at different times and stuff like that so you can like actually walk on the board to move your pieces around like that's how big it is strategically again they never really explain what it is or how it works and i just rolled with it that's fine (laughs) i don't i don't know um people also play the game to get bureaucratic jobs um you can also make wagers on the game up like for money and up to and including torture so, hey, if I win, you cut your leg off. Whoa. If you lose, you know, something like that. Yeah. it's They're a little rough at Azad. Um, one interesting small fact about Azad that made me feel like, is this Earth in the future in a really bad way? Was that the Azadians got rid of a race of dark-skinned people. I should point out here that Gerga and others in culture have varying shades of dark skin. Okay. So Contact sees Azad as unique, doesn't really know how to deal with them. Um, they've lied to them about the technology that they have so that they are hoping Azad doesn't think they're as like strong as they actually are. Um, and they want him to go in and kind of start playing this game so they can kind of, I think they, they want him to go in fully expecting him to lose the game. And then that will make Azad think, oh, look, culture is not as smart as maybe they say they are. And they'll be able to trick them that way. So their plan is to send the best player of games yes. to a land with the intention that he will lose the game. Because it's a brand new game he's never played before, ever, ever. And people play, they learn this game from childhood on. But, they study it their entire lives. But he is the game master. He is the, the yes. he is gaming personified. He is PewDiePie. Foresh- he is Ninja. Foreshadowing. I bet you can see how this will end. Okay. But we'll get to that. Okay. So I want to... Section I wanna, two. Yeah, section two. Section move two. Move through section two as quickly yep. as you can, because I, I want to Absolutely. make sure we have time to talk like big picture stuff. So... Yeah. Section two, quote unquote, Imperium. I called it, let the games begin. Yes. So he's there. He has um, an envoy drone with him called Flare Imshaho. Roll with it. I might just call him Flare. F-L-E-R-E. Sure. Um, he has to hide inside of like an older bulky kind of metal thing because he's just like a small little round ball that's like super high tech. Um, but they don't want them to know that they have drones like that. And he hates being inside this like stupid machine. So like um, a Krang from Ninja Turtle situation. Yes. yes. Okay. Remember when I used to do that to you? Yeah. When I was very little. That was fun. Hold you in my arms. Yeah. I am Krang. I am Krang. Yeah. That was Okay. Fun. Great. Good. Good. Good times. Good memories. Yeah, it was good. So, like, does he, when he shows up, is he just like, yo, let me play your game, let's go? Like, what is... Yes. Okay, great. Culture has let them know ahead of time. They have a diplomatic envoy there. Okay, sure. We'll get to his weird name later. Oh, no. We're, I know it. Shohobohom. 
Wait. Shohoboham? Shohoboham. 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 Za. We're just going to call him Za. Great. Za. Like, like get some Za. Get some Za's <laughs> on a Zod. <laughs> okay. Um, so he's constantly being bugged and monitored and watched by um, Azad because they don't trust anyone. Um, we learn some interesting things that about Azad that say more about culture. Azad has ownership and status, which Gerger like does not understand. That makes no sense to him whatsoever. Sure, that's cool. Okay. Um, the uniforms that people wear for either like police, military, whatever that unsettles him. Um, he sees a prison, which is like he does not know what that is. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So the Azadians are humanoid with three sexes. Um, the male sex. And the female sex are what we traditionally think of. Okay. But then there's a third one called an apex. Okay. And they have the womb. Sure. sure. So the women are slightly different, but the apex have the womb and can carry children. And that's what makes them a higher status in society. They're the scholars. They're the game players. They run everything. Men are soldiers. Women are possessions to be used for all sorts of terrible things. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Yeah, this reminds okay. me. I think when I read Dawn by Octavia Butler, there was a three sex species mm-hmm. that, you know, or at least with the humans, they, they was in creating some sort of triad that was necessary for, you know, reproduction and stuff like that. Right. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes to a party. That's fine. We'll move on from that. What we learn from the party is he's assigned an apex to just follow him around everywhere. We meet Za, who's the ambassador, who's there to kind of help him keep everything together. And then we meet Emperor Regent Nikosar, who is determined to win this game this year because he inherited the emperorship because the previous guy died. But so now he's got to like prove it. He's got to prove it. He's got to defend his heavyweight title or else he loses the title. Well, he's not defending it. He's earning it the first time. Yeah, okay, okay. You know what I mean? He's never even played the game to the end. Sure. So on the first day... Lyndon Johnson, effectively. (laughs) Am I wrong? I don't think I want to say Nikasar is like Lyndon Johnson. No, he's not (laughs) ushering in the great society, but he did did have to, like, you know, win an election to stick around. Okay. If we're going strictly on that, then yes. (laughs) <laughs> so first day of games there are 10 people playing because that's how big this game is great they do a couple side games you earn points and things like that and then he's realizing as they're playing as a group the other nine are purposely playing against him duh but then yeah but then he realizes that actually eight of them are working to help this priest play and win so what he starts doing is strategizing to break up those eight and create infighting and then kicks the butt of the priest. I've seen Survivor. So. I know how this works. Okay, sure. <laughs> so he wins that and that's fun. And Za takes him on a night out to an underground marketplace where some kind of freaky stuff goes on. Don't need to get into that. Like slave trading kind of like? No, like instead of wrestling... It's sex. Great. Okay. Sure. And people watch and wager and it's violent. Okay. And that's fun. Yeah. Is it, is it, um, before we, we'll move on, but yeah. like, is it meant to read as like this society is a different power structure than he's used to and maybe it's somewhat depraved behavior? Like is, is he reacting to it negatively as he goes through this market? 
Yes. Okay. The initial reaction is he doesn't understand what things are. Then Zaw explains it, and he's just appalled. Like, and why is anyone happy about any of this stuff? Okay. Um, then there is an attempt on his life, which Zaw helps save him. And, you know, for some reason, Gurga did not think that might be a possibility, but it's like, hey, you know, we're fighting here with contact. Um, he goes up against another player, another uh, two games with the 10 players. He's winning them all, still beating that priest who's hanging in there. Um, so then he makes it to the second round. So there were a bunch of kind of like almost like uh, March Madness stuff. What, brackets? Yes, brackets. Yes. Sorry, I don't, I know the phrase. I believe it's college basketball. The guys at work are constantly trying to send around brackets. Yeah, I don't it's care. brackets. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, brackets. So <laughs> he makes it, he wins the brackets. Round two, he's against a guy, I'm not even going to try and say it. We're just going to call him Low L-O. Sure. He's just playing against one person this time instead of 10. And he's ranked fifth, like fifth. So he's up there. Great. He has to submit his first principles and register his philosophical premises for the game because that influences how you're going to play this like strategic war game that you're doing, right? And Azad is afraid of Gurga telling the truth of his beliefs because that would go against their society, right? I mean, if he's all about utopian, everyone has everything that they need, there's no prison, no one is starving, no one is sick, Welcome to Azad, so exactly opposite. Basically, John Lennon's imagine the person. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, like, a bureaucrat comes to him and says, hey, yo, could you make up a couple of things here that won't freak people out? Whoa. And he's like, sure. <laughs> yeah. But he understands why. Okay. And says, sure. Okay. Get me, get me, I want to move kind of swiftly through the, through the rest of it. So now, okay, two things are happening that very much coincide. One, he's going to play the next game against a judge, a very high-ranking judge, someone he should not be playing against at this stage. They're clearly doing it on purpose to try and kick him out, and he knows that. Great. At the at one of the boards, they have different names. It doesn't quite matter. The judge asks if he is willing to wager his body. Nice. Right? So we're doing that. So it would be castration for Gurga and full castration, not I can sing high castration. And the judge would get what's called an apicillial gelding. So he's an apex. It means the removal of the womb that would allow him to have babies. So that's a big deal, right? Um, So he says yes, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) literally he's not too concerned because he can regrow his penis. So fun fact. Neato. Fun fact. I guess that's how they live forever. Um, he doesn't want the judge to lose the game, um, cause he knows it could, you know, he'd have to have the procedure, he'd lose his good standing, but he's now kind of getting into the game. He's sure. getting like seduced by the game. So he's like, yeah, I'm in it. Um, he also, with his drone flare makes a backup plan. One flare said, um, they wouldn't, contact would not be happy if Azad had your penis cause they could learn a lot from it. I thought that was an interesting fact. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to think too much about what they could learn about Gerger from his penis. Well, they just don't want any part. Well, but then they'd have access to all the cool gland technology. Yeah, I know. That's what was making me think, like, what's happening down there? It's a Jurassic Park situation where they can extract (laughs) Dino DNA, and then they just have all the information. Okay. (laughs) But so they do make a plan 
with the ship that's kind of staying in orbit while they're down on the planet that should they need to, they can do this thing called displacement, kind of Star Trekian, and like zip them out of there. It's very dangerous, but they can get him out of there if he loses so that they don't have to actually, they won't have the time to go through with the mutilation. Okay, great. The night before this game happens, the drone flare takes him out on the city, out into the city to see the bad sections that he has not seen before. How poor people are, um, how the hospitals are terrible, how they are killing dark-skinned babies. Um, because even though they have killed all of the obvious people because of genetics, it still yeah. happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's always, in a, in a society like this, they're always going to continue to perpetuate an underclass of some yeah. kind and and yep. use whatever justification they need to. Sure. Yeah. He's seeing men and women being bought by apexes or apices um, to like for funsies, make them walk around like a dog, do tricks for people, just humiliate them. Okay. It's, it's terrible. Um, and then the the clincher is then back at where they're staying in the module that they brought with them. Um, the drone had hacked into the Imperial channels. Channel one is pornography. Okay. Standard fair. Channel two is BDSM. Okay. Bureaucrats have access to that. So up a level. Channel three is a live feed of adults and children being tortured. Mm. It's for the ruling elite only. And it happens every night. So this is the dark web. This is just... (laughs) The thing you never want me to go see ever. This is the awful dark web. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. But on TV. Oh my God. And live feed every night, every night. Okay, right? so this is he is learning this to do what as a motivation to go win, or yes, okay. Well, it whether yes, I ultimately think that is Flair's goal here is like yes, you've been seduced by the game, but don't get so into it that you're not still trying to like actively win. Don't be playing around win this game against this judge. Okay. Because then when he goes in there, what's interesting is all of a sudden there's a um, point of view shift that has not happened at all in the book before. And now we're from the point of view of the judge. Interesting. And the judge is watching how Gerga is acting differently that day, just with his body language and the movement, even on the game and everything like that. He's barbaric and making wild moves The judge sees the plan, kind of like chess, how you can see ahead what's going to happen, and he knows he's going to lose. And he's upset because he's currently with child. Okay. And wondered why the Empire asked this of him, because now he's going to lose his his child. child Yeah, sure. And the ability to have future children. And what's interesting is that once he realizes that, he just stops the game, walks across the board to Gerga, looks in his eyes, and realizes he no longer cares and he understands, this was, I thought, interesting, what it was like for the condemned men who looked into his eyes huh. as a judge. Okay. And then he collapses and is taken away. Whoa. So, Gerga wins. So now, he's going to the finals. Section three, called Machina X Machina. So... Machine by machine. Gives, yeah. Yeah. Guess who's going to save the day? The machine. Machina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I call it kind of gives it away that's what i call section three there's a little bit of dramatic irony there i suppose just like waiting (laughs) for whatever the machines are gonna do (laughs) so then they go to the planet where nikasar 
the empire the emperor lives so this is on there are multiple azad planets sorry i assumed it was one planet okay yes gurga decides to work with um an azadia named hamin to do like fake news basically (laughs) because if if people know that gurga wins um and beats nikasar the whole society is going to collapse. Okay. And as much as Hamin is like, yes, things need to improve, we can't have that happening. Sure. So they film a couple fake games and, oh, look, he got kicked out. Great. Great. But he keeps winning. Oh, during this time, Flair starts giving him the drone that's there to help him, gives him information such as um, there are eight people in Azad who actually know all about culture. Great. Like, no lies all about it. The emperors and people like that. And Gurga's furious. Like, the more information he's learning and he's realizing that he's being used and being played, it's really pissing him off. Okay. There's a threat to Nikasar's life. There's an attempt on Gurga's life. Lots of bad things are happening. Finally, he gets to the game against Nikasar. Great. Gurga and everyone else knows he won't be the emperor if he wins, but he still wants to play and he wants to win. Because he's now like so invested in this game. And like beating this society that he finds abhorrent. And that is an interesting point that you said that. Because Gerger realizes that Nikasar is setting up his side of the board to be a Zod and to fight culture. Sure. And he realized whatever that means. I don't know. However, the the pieces, the philosophies that are arranged on the board. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, Gerga realizes he has been setting up his positions to be like culture society, no enforced hierarchy. Um, everything's a grid of relationships and things like intermingling. Whereas Azadian is just like all for one, one for all, we're going to go in and kill you. And we'll also, if we have to lose half of our pieces to do it, so be it. So, so to me, anyone who has played... Uh, there's so, so there are things called real-time strategy games, Jill. Okay. They are computer games that you aren't controlling a single person. There's like a map, and you can build buildings, and the buildings make the dudes that uh-huh. you used to go fight with, right? And okay. there's one called StarCraft, which is set in space, and there are three races. There's like a bug species. There's mm-hmm. a psychic alien species and then there's humans and the ways that they function like that you can actually control them in the way that you have to build the buildings reflect like the structure of that society so like depending on whether or not you're just like building men out of houses or the ways Mm -hmm. that the psychic aliens can only go where there's psychic stuff or whatever it might be okay that makes sense to me as a modern game master is what i really wanted to say because you are a game master. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Right. Bill Getting, game master. That's me. That's you. Yeah, so it's all about the layout of the pieces on this, right? Great. This huge 50-meter board or whatever. And what he also then realizes, based on the information he got from Flair, which is that Nikosar knows all about culture, is that Nikosar has even used that knowledge in his setup. Ah. So Gerga goes, I'm going to go hardcore culture and use that to defeat you and i wrote not sure exactly what this means (laughs) um (laughs) azad is ruthless and culture isn't culture is strategic to some high degree if it's winning so it's a little tricky and again none of the games are ever fully flushed out so it's kind of hard to know you just got to roll with it plot sure sure 
The game ends with Nixar winning, but Gerger having enough points to play his own. So there's three different boards. So there's almost like three rounds for every time. So they're going to have to play again. Um, the next day, Nixar shows up his commander in chief uniform, which is like, that's interesting. New outfit. He wasn't doing that. Um, the drone senses that something is different and like something's happening. And then all of a sudden, Nikasar makes the game real. People come out, people start shooting. He's shooting his own people, all trying to get to Gerga. And he comes after him with a sword. I guess we get to have some old fashioned things here. Flair gets, he like throws himself out of his like huge old thing that he has to wear um, and is able to break the sword, kind of hit Nikasar a little bit and basically saves Gurkha's life through everything that happens. Um, then we just get a lot of wrap up information at this point. We're still not section four, but while they're still on Azad, Flair explains that, you know, he's not the kind of like envoy drone that he explained. He's actually been there to protect him the entire time. Um, Gurga was played by culture and except that. <laughs> sure. Um, Flair had told Nikasar before the last game that if Gurga won, culture would invade. Um, that might have been helpful to know. Yeah, okay. Um, Gerg- uh, the drone Flair says he doesn't know why culture wanted this, but culture actually expected Gurga to win. So they didn't think it was really going to be a problem. I don't know if that's him being nice or if that's actually real. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I, I can't tell because Flair is this. He, he, he gives little bits of information out when he wants to. So he's... Because he's clearly working more for culture than Gerga thinks all along. Yeah, yeah. he's smarter yeah, than yeah. he's supposed to be. He's stronger. So it's hard to trust him. Okay. So then... Like, what's the wrap-up? What is wh- wrap what is up. the What is the end state of the game? So section four, called The Past Pawn, I call Super Fast Wrap-Up. Yeah. Gerga decides to go to be put to sleep for the multi-year journey home. Great. He sees his friend Ye and Chamless when he gets home. Um, that other drone from the beginning, the one who had blackmailed him, not there. Great. He tells them everything that happened. Um, and now culture doesn't even need to work out a deal with Azad. It fell apart. Azad fell apart. everything came out. Fell, yeah, the entire empire Azad fell apart when Nixar died, when the information came out about Gerga winning and things like that. Um, one annoying just feminist thing that happened is that Ye stays over to have sex with him. And I found that annoying because all throughout the first section of the ennui, he's constantly asking her if she will please have sex with him. And she's like, um, no, again, no, thank you. No, please. No. And now she's like, sure. So, all right. That's Neat fine. little Mario princess peach completely unearned. Yeah, though. Yeah. Bit. Okay. <laughs> So now the big thing on the last page is that you learn the narrator is the drone Flare Emission. Yeah, sure, okay. Who's been with him the whole time. And that Flare is also Maren Skell, the one that blackmailed Yo. him. So Okay. Right? So yes. So Who is the mind, player of games? It maybe it's not him. It's not him. The game master was a pawn. The player of games is culture. Yes. In my mind. Yes. You think it's Gerga, but it's not. It's absolutely not. So all of this was set in motion to unravel an incompatible society, essentially. Yes. 
as opposed to having to go in and invade, they were like, we can have a game master go in there. We know he's going to win, even though we tell him we think he's going to fail because yep. that makes him try harder. Yep. And then they fall apart. And now we don't need to deal with that anymore. Yes. Yay. Okay. And maybe we can even at some point go in and help them make it a little bit better. But at least for now, they're not a threat. Well, yeah, because now that their culture has fallen apart, it makes the the hegemonic, like, let's move in and just convert everyone would theoretically be easier. Um, hmm. Sounds, mm-hmm. sounds a lot like I, I was reading in some of the interviews with him about like as he got into the 90s and stuff and critiquing like the Gulf War and then later critiquing the Iraq War, um, this idea of like critiquing, even though it's supposed to be a utopia, as you said, like critiquing mm-hmm. culture as a force that destabilizes things and then uh, goes in and attempts to convert what's left. Hmm. Yeah. And basically culture wants everything to fit into its definitions. Yeah, yeah. And so if a world does, cool, join us, chill, let's hang. And if not, all right, we're going to find a way to deal with you. Yes. And so Azad did not fit in, so they had to deal with them. Um, what is our, like, what is your vibe with what's his name? Go- Gerga? Yeah, like, over the course of the book, like, do you find... I don't like him. Okay. Do you feel like you're supposed to, or is he, you know, does... I think he's a product of the 80s. Okay. But, like, the banks, as framed in the book, there's not... It's not a, like, oh, he's a repulsive person that we are supposed to learn about ourselves by what we don't like about him. He's just a character that you no. personally didn't like. Yeah. Okay. And I think also part of what made it, it made it hard to like him because he was very arrogant about who he was. Sure. And just sleeping around and doing all that nonsense. Again, you do you. But it's just, it's showing who he is. Yes. And now granted, it's this different society, so maybe different standards. Um, but they're, like the one thing I wasn't sure of by that end in that like, you know, 10 page part four wrap up was... What did he learn from this, if anything? And is this going to change him or his orbital or anything like that? Because he's now been exposed to a society no one else has seen. He saw horrors that no one he knows has ever seen. And he knows they're real. What happens next? Yeah. And I know the next book is about a totally different character. So, but they're... So as much as it's like there was like the beginning of an arc of him like seeing things and it like it played out in that one game with the judge and you're like, okay, I get it. He's angry. He hates this society. He's like, this is not how you should be doing it. So bam, you're going to get punished. Um, when he when he comes back home, it's like, and he told everyone and he slept with yay. And oh yeah, I'm the drone that actually told the story. Like there's there's no really kind of wrap up to what Gerga might have like internalized and since it was so focused on him like thinking about game stuff yeah it 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 was hard to feel like his his character progressed well with this knowledge in a more permanent way but that that seems to maybe be what the series is about right like if yeah. it's about you can't uh not that you can't, but if you're telling a story at a system level, like culture, like mm-hmm. that's difficult. So let's make a story about 
individuals, and I'm sure this is how the book, the rest of the books probably operate, which is to say, like, let's find a protagonist. We can, culture is going to exploit this person's kind of natural arc of like, oh, we're going to give them a reason to go do the thing that they care about. And then that will advance our goals, regardless of what happens to that person. Because as you've described it, he probably can't change culture that much himself. So having an arc where he is appreciably different is the only thing I think that that would do is like make it a slightly more tragically poignant ending of like the, of a futility thing. Um, But it, I have some notes. Sure. To this. Okay. And then, yeah, let's hit that and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Yeah. Um, So Gerga wins the ultimate game at the end with Nikasar. By learning to not think like a player. Mm. He's playing culture. Yes. Yes. Okay. Whatever the F that means. He's playing culture. He's thinking about it not as an individual human, but he's thinking about it on the level of the minds. Sure. 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 And so then what I thought was, so what the minds understand, so, you know, the layer above culture is that peace is a far more powerful strategy than violence. Yep. Which is right. Because that's what wins yep. is his peaceful culture. As much as culture has some violence overall, what they're trying to do even with some violence is to create peace. Yes. As all violence is hopefully for, um, even, but even so though he, peace can, had, can be unequal peace can be yes. like w- people can suffer under peace. Yes. But sure. 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 In a game setting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that perspective in him is a big change. But again, there's no indication, and I don't know if it matters or not, but there's just no indication as to how that will affect him afterwards. Will he still be a game master? Will he now have to go into something else? Will he play games differently now? You know, like, there's really no way to kind of know. Um, But it was, he had to completely change his perspective of a player, you know, from playing from like me Gerga playing this game yes. to I am culture playing this game and I want peace and peace is what will dominate violence huh. and that's how he won which is in some ways a nice idea yeah <laughs> it's a lovely idea to think that peace will you know win over violence um but it was hard to see how it affected his character sure yeah. If anything, if anything, it was more about the sneakiness of the culture by the very end, learning that Flair had been lying all along and that Gerga had been set up from the beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's kind of like the boop little cherry on top there at the end. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That I mean, that to me seems like what would have interested Mr. Musk and probably <laughs> interested folks is that it's like it is not a space opera in the conventional way, right? Because like the individual protagonists are less important than the overarching goals of culture. And it is every book sounds like it is an opportunity to explore how this hegemony might interact with a different culture. So you kind of get the like Star Trek civilization of the week set up where Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, I've dreamed up a set of rules that are, that I'm going to highlight in relief to this, set of rules that i set up over here yeah yes okay yeah that makes sense that's cool Mm -hmm. well thanks for telling me about this book you're welcome honey yeah 
Um, if our listeners have a favorite game that they think they could design a civilization around, they could tell me about it over email at overduepod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at facebook.com slash overduepod or twitter.com slash overduepod. Andrew's not here, so I think I'll do the other stuff as well. Do you know what our website is? You know what it is, right? Overduepod.com. Overduepodcast.com. That's right. Also there, you can find links to the books we have read and books we're going to read, as well as our Patreon project, patreon.com, and iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, Spotify, all the places that you can find our show. Azad, even. Maybe. If you're listening on (laughs) Azad, let us know, and let us know how we can help you. It sounds like a rough situation. (laughs) We can kickstart something. That's fine. Oh, people could go back and listen to you talk uh, with us about The Hobbit, and the Fellowship of the Ring. Those were two over two hundred episodes ago. So yes, and I get Craig to sing on the Hobbit one. That's true. So that's fun. As episodes one thirty one and one thirty four, I think you were with us. So go check that there out you if you are keen. Um, and you know what Andrew says at the end of every episode, right, Joel? Be nice to each other. Try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.